the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, long, powerful stories than The Athletic. Download the app, personalize it with your favorite teams and leagues, and get exclusive ad free content at your fingertips. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track today for 40% off your first year subscription. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. Shield Kapadia has got some great statistics this week from week five of the NFL season, which was loaded with numbers, loaded with missed kicks, uh, big time quarterback play out of the Mar Jackson and Josh Allen. There's plenty of that from Mike Sando and Shield Kapadia on the athletic as usual. Two guest show. Cousin Dan on the back end of this thing, a little bit more Major League Baseball free agent talk. What will happen to the Tampa Bay Rays now that they're eliminated? Some bouncing around, some option decisions. There's a couple of player options out there that I think will be tough calls. And certainly some club options that will be tough calls for their respective organizations. So Dan and I kind of spiked that out for the last 20 minutes of this show. But really thrilled to have this first guest. Finally, former NFL quarterback, former Notre Dame quarterback, Brady Quinn. He's, you can find him on Fox Sports Radio. You can find him all over the Mediascape. He's uh, really knowledgeable with this stuff and really knowledgeable with the money in football. So Brady and I go back and forth on Baker Mayfield, the Brown situation, the quarterback pay in general, how contracts are being structured, how that may change, maybe with Baker specifically, but also maybe coming down the line. Really good 30-minute uh, discussion with Brady Quinn about the money in sports, specifically the quarterback position. So that's what's on the docket today. And we'll be back with some NBA and NHL stuff soon. Both those seasons about to kick off as well. So keep it there. Keep it with The Athletic as well for all of the multi-sport news. Today's episode is brought to you by Balance Bridge Funding, providing cost-friendly capital solutions to professional athletes since 2015. Balanced Bridge has dedicated professionals who understand the industry and can customize a repayment plan catered to your clients' needs. Borrow wisely and cost-effectively, avoid broker fees, and there's no penalties if you pay it back early. Whether your client is under contract and needs a bridge against guaranteed earnings, a free agent looking to invest, or looking to borrow for any other reason, let Balanced Bridge take a look, provide a solution, and be your resource today. Visit balancedbridge.com. All right, I've been trying to get this guy in for a while. I'm really thrilled to have him. I think it's going to be a great discussion for our audience here. The formal NFL quarterback... Now, Fox Sports Radio host, Brady Quinn. He's at Brady underscore Quinn on Twitter. Brady, thanks for joining the show. Let's talk some quarterback money. What do you think? Yeah, sounds good. Uh, I wish I wish I was something that would have made a little bit more of during my time in the NFL, but it's always <laughs> fun to discuss and talk about. Well, look, you're pretty relevant to to where I've been speaking lately and where I want to keep going with this discussion, which is... Um, you know, early Browns quarterback draft picks and, and how we get them to the next contract, because as good as Lamar, you know, was last night, as good as Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes been have been Baker Mayfield's going to be the elephant in the room with this whole discussion. I, I know you agree. I've heard you speak to this before. And I know that, you know, even if I bring it down, bring you down a path where, where I say that they, he plays out the fifth year option, they franchise tag him. And then, what after that? I, I know you're not even in love with that discussion. So kind of lay this out for me, because if I just look at number one overall picks over the past 15 years at the quarterback position, it's really hard for this guy not to get a second contract. I mean, we have to go back to Jamarcus, your your draft year, where a team just flat right. out gave up on a rookie on a rookie quarterback in his rookie contract. And even if you keep going back, David Carr was given five years on his rookie deal. It's just really hard not to get this thing done. What, what's the game plan for, for the Browns and Baker Mayfield here? Yeah, I think the problem is when you take a player number one overall, right? Like that year, that general manager, that head coach, depending on who's in the position of power, is ultimately going to be judged based on that. And if you were to move on from him his, in his rookie contract, you've basically <laughs> – you've already admitted fault. And so at that point, you're either probably not looking at the same general manager or head coach who's making that decision because it's gone so poorly. Um, or, you know, again, like they just, they felt like they, they need to move on in some direction or capacity. But most organizations, most general managers, head coaches are willing to admit that, especially early on in, in a rookie contract. So because they're taking number one overall, it almost guarantees them 
unless they just don't want to put in the time to work, um, that they're going to get a second contract. It just depends on what magnitude, right? And then how their performance is on the field. Now, the hard part right now is, is in saying that, oh, they're going to get a second contract, is you're saying that they are a franchise quarterback. Because, you know, let's say it's after three years, for example, on their rookie deal, and you start that negotiation process for an extension, which will probably be cheaper than you trying to play it out through them playing their fifth, um, fifth year of that contract, franchise tagging them, all, all those things that come after that. It's probably cheaper to sign them to that extension. You have a little bit more control over the guarantees, the mechanisms, and being able to move on if he's not the player you thought he would be, a la, you know, maybe you look at a guy like Jared Goff like that. Um, but the reality is the, the price of what that quarterback is going to be or what they're going to make is more a byproduct of, to me at least, economics or what the growing rate is for a franchise quarterback. Yeah. It's not so much like, like I feel like agents and people will try to argue well, look at the production and this is who he's most, you know, comparable to. But the truth of the matter is if you play it out as a player and you keep pushing to get to- closer to free agency and forcing their hand to utilize the franchise tag, that's always going to be the baseline of any negotiation that, you- that takes place with the organization. So because of that, I actually think the franchise tag has been a tool that was originally created for franchises and really owners to keep those players, but now it's being used against them with players that, if it didn't exist, might not receive as much compensation for that second contract because of how I think those negotiations are going between the agents players and, and their organizations with those mechanisms currently in place. Right. This, this is the point I wanted to get to. So I'm glad you kind of transitioned there for me that there's, there's two ways to go here. I'm going to take both ways eventually, but let's start with the franchise tag because you're right in, in every position and, and especially at the quarterback position. If, the, if I've got a guy who I'm trying to figure out future guarantees for in any position, you know, cornerback edge rusher, and certainly with the quarterback where I start is what is he currently making? What is the franchise tag value? And then what is the second franchise tag value? That's my baseline for any kind of agent negotiation guarantees. Maybe not upfront guarantees, but the total package. So if I'm doing that for Baker, if I, if I go fifth year option and two franchise tags, I'm already at 90 million. So, so I know that right. the discussion about, you know, is he the next man up? That's probably not valid with Baker. And I don't think Baker is out there looking for $45 million a year right now. He's realistic, at least to that degree. But even just to bridge contract this guy, you're going probably a hundred million guaranteed over three years. That's not something I think the Browns want to get into. Even though, as you mentioned, they'd have cap flexibility, they'd have cash flow flexibility. Whereas if they take the the Kirk Cousins route, you're sunk in on one year deals. There's really no getting around that. Even though you're trying to nickel and dime yourself with with the one year contracts, I I don't know where we go from this. And we haven't had an organization have to do this. You're right. I, I think Sean McVay would have preferred to, to string Jared Goff out, but from a from a full roster financial standpoint, it was easier for them to spread out a multi-year contract, and they still were able to trade him. Where are we in three years with Baker Mayfield? Do you have any kind of sense of where the Browns are going with this? I think he'll still be there. I think he'll still be their quarterback. Okay. And I think it's in part because he's in a, a great situation. Yeah. With Kevin Stefanski now as their head coach and play caller, I don't think he's going to put him in a bad spot. The way they've acquired talent via the draft or free agency and and retaining or signing players, I think they've continually surrounded him with talent, an offensive line that's arguably the best in the league. So just knowing his history, he's not going to make a mistake or he's not going to become that guy who – ends up throwing 30 interceptions in a season or something ridiculous like that. Like he's just, he's not going to take that big of a step backwards. Now he might not, you know, become a guy who's going to throw 50 touchdowns in a season, Mm -hmm. a lot of Patrick Mahomes, but I don't know that that's his fault either. I think that's a byproduct of what Kevin Stefanski feels is the strength of their team, running the football, staying balanced and, and not putting his defense out there either like that. So, you know, for me, I, I think he is their franchise quarterback. He'll be there in three years. 
as far as what deal he's playing under, if it's under a franchise tag at that point or under a new deal, it all depends upon, I think, how they gauge the temperature of Baker, his representation, um, you know, the team too. Like there's a lot of dynamics that go into this because what's their recourse? Like if, if they don't sign Baker to an extension and they want to play things out a year at a time, Baker can become disgruntled. He can say, well, we know this. Quarterbacks are so heavily desired that if he did make it to free agency, he'd probably be viewed as one of the top, if not the top, free agent quarterback, right? Because it almost never happens for a guy who's at least valued to some degree. So because of that, I, I think they understand on the other side, they either have to then spend a draft pick, a high draft pick, on a guy they absolutely love that they feel like could come in and replace him. Uh, and maybe, maybe you'd look at it almost like a Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes situation where you feel like you can get to a certain, you, you can reach a certain ceiling with Baker, but you, you get this chance to draft an extreme talent that with a year of watching and learning and growing behind a pro, a guy like Baker who's seen and done it now, that this next guy can come take you to the top, right? He can win you a Super Bowl. He can be a league MVP. Uh, I still think that Baker can probably do those things with the team that he's currently on, but that's just my opinion. That's not theirs. But, but again, I, I think he'll be their quarterback in three years, and I do think he'll be under an extension. I don't think they're going to make him or force him to play it out under the franchise tag because I think the other valuable asset or tool as we anticipate the salary cap continuing to go up, is going to be that you, you need a lender. And your lender always ends up being that player that you can go restructure their contract with and then create more cap space. Um, and, and, and I think it's typically the quarterback, right? He ends up being the guy on most rosters that you do that with. Maybe in this case it's Miles Garrett, but I think the difficulty in you know creating more bonuses and, and paying him more cash in lieu of reducing his cap hit is – it's a defensive player that's subject to injury, probably greater so than a quarterback is. So that's always your risk when you take into account another player as being your quote-unquote lender uh, outside of the quarterback position. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, it, there's positions of power, there's positions of longevity too, and, and that's what you have to consider here when you're talking about those restructures. I mean, Matt Ryan and Matthew Stafford have made a living off of off of restructured contracts that yeah. involve you know upfront bonuses and. You know, it's it's no more cash to them. It's just how they've operated themselves for the better of their team in many cases. And Stafford's going to do that again this offseason with the Rams, I would imagine. So um, you're right. A lot of things you said have been precedents that have been set recently. So the the Kirk Cousins hitting free agency and, and garnering a small guaranteed contract. Dak Prescott kind of playing hardball with the Cowboys and saying, you know, I, I know I'm a $100 million quarterback. I know I'm a $40 million quarterback. I'm going to ride this thing out. Uh, but they don't have the, the position of power, which is the number one overall status. And I, I know it sounds like a false interpretation of this whole assessment, but there's real value to that. Where you came from, where you started has a lot of power in, in negotiations. And, you know, I, you were a late first round pick. Did it affect right. you at all? Did you see other guys that you knew maybe you had a, an upper hand over, but they had a better draft position where they just had a, a better starting point when it came to negotiations? Did, you know what I mean? Like, did, did you see it? Did you see other guys who kind of felt privy to that because of where they started? You know, an undrafted free agent is so behind the eight ball right now, but we're seeing more and more of that come to the forefront. Well, I think the one advantage you have, you know, being undrafted as opposed to, you know, being a late round pick is just your choice, yeah. you know, or, or your, um, your, your ability to freedom to look at the rosters, look at the chance of making it. And then obviously not signing as long of a deal as compared to a first round pick where they have control with that fifth year option. It provides you the chance where if you hit it big in the first couple of years, you're getting that new contract. They're giving you an extension. Uh, now that might be pretty rare, but, I don't know that as far as uh, looking at the sixth, seventh round picks in comparison, to, in comparison to undrafted free agents, maybe even fifth round picks, I don't know that there's a huge difference in the way a team's going to look at those guys when they come into camp or they're trying to make preseason cuts and decision on, decisions on those guys hmm. as far as where they stand on the roster. 
Um, so, it, you know, look, draft picks always are picks that I think general managers and head coaches, guys who have egos have control over that. They'd like to get them right. They'd like to have as many picks as they can possible because that's their influence. That's their decision. They're the ones that are spending the draft pick on them, regardless of where they're drafted. Um, but again, you're still, you know, if you could find a diamond in the rough, find an undrafted free agent, you're still making your name for yourself in that case. I, I, I guess I just look at, you know, when I was drafted, the draft position was entirely different, right? There's things called quarterback premiums where your guarantees within your contract were going to be probably more so than a number of picks before you uh, because you were drafted as a quarterback in the first round. And that was real. That was kind of part of it. And there was more negotiating to be done. Today, it's entirely different, right? It's slotted. You know, there's only a couple of things you're, you're negotiating. So it makes it simpler to get a deal done uh, in most cases and, and get in there and get in the camp and, and start, you know, preparing yourself to work towards getting that second contract. I just think the days of, um, and again, the biggest difference between, you know, back then and now is the, the way the franchise tag is utilized in negotiations and everything else, and the way it's applied to all positions. I think the only thing I'd say that differs from what you, you talked about in regards to other positions is I don't think they schedule out a second year of the franchise tag for other positions outside quarterback. Cause you typically don't see more than a year, if not two years of guarantees in any other position, you know, for their contract outside of quarterback. I don't think we've seen a quarterback outside of three years get guarantees into the fourth year, really. Now, there might be mechanisms that help them get there, but for the most part, you know, Kirk Cousins' three-year fully guaranteed deal is essentially what you get in these five- or six-year deals. You know, the only difference is he just knows that after a couple years, they're going to have to come back and negotiate the table to give him another extension, which is smart in my opinion. Very. Like, I don't – I think there's so much fluff on these contracts that if I, you know, looking back, I mean, I remember, you know, not having established myself in any way after my rookie deal, having the opportunity to sign back on a two year deal in Denver or, you know, a chance to sign a one year deal in Kansas city. My whole point was, well, I'm taking a risk. I'm taking a chance in signing a one year deal, but I know if I play and if I play well, there'll be something on the other side of that where if, if you know, that chance was unlikely in Denver, given we had Peyton Manning coming in, I know I'm just sitting on the bench. And so they have control over me for two years. And unless, you know, given his neck injury and, and, you know, recovery from that, if that goes south, that's the only chance I have in getting on the field. So, you know, there's obviously a bunch of different ways, uh, you know, you, you look at what type of contract you want to sign and why you're signing for what reasons. For me, I was never someone who wanted to hold a clipboard. I just didn't. Mm -hmm. It wasn't interesting to me to sit on the sidelines and watch. I might as well be coaching at that point um, and and, and just give up trying to play. And so, you know, that was, I think, the thing that probably prevented me, outside of some injuries, back surgery, different things that affected me at the end of my career. But it was like, well, I don't want to keep kind of searching just for an opportunity to to be in training camp or to be a third-string quarterback. Like, I'd rather just get into coaching if I was going to do that. but again, going back to the contract, I, I think the, the biggest thing that I look at and say is, you know, the situation, the circumstance you enter into, that's still paramount to anything else that these guys are, are given. I mean, think about the situation that both Joe Flacco and Matt Ryan found themselves in. Yeah. And if they had been drafted elsewhere, you know, what does that look like? Uh, probably not the same type of career as, you know, what we're talking about with Matt Ryan, who's a you know, potential Hall of Famer. Joe Flacco who won the Super Bowl with an MVP. That's that's not happening if they get drafted elsewhere, at least in my opinion. Has this capped up year where dummy void years have really come to the forefront? Has that changed things? Do you think that's changed agents and, and the way that they approach some of these contracts now? Because teams have shown their hand in this regard. So we mentioned, you know, mentioned Kirk Cousins and the three year fully guaranteed. That's an anomaly because he was allowed to get to free agency at a at a prime age. And, you know, unless Baker does that, I can't find another quarterback that's well, going to do that. Well, I also think it, it, it really comes down to the player. Yeah. You know, Kirk Cousins already showcased the fact he was willing to take the risk and just continuing to sign franchise tags, not take whatever offer Washington was or wasn't offering him. But he just said, I'm willing to take the risk. I'm willing to keep pushing the envelope and, and basically put myself in a make or break year. So I have no problem signing a three or fully guaranteed deal. You know, because what's the point of me, you know, jumping into a situation, getting in bed with the team and signing a longer term deal only to eventually have to renegotiate after a few years anyway. 
Right. So I, again, I, I, I kind of harken back to like, if you, it really comes down to, I think the player's preference. There's some guys who, who grow up without money and they yeah. see that amount of money and they're like, no, I'm signing. Like, I, 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 where, where do I need to sign? Send it to me as soon as possible. There's other guys who feel really comfortable with, with where they're at and taking that risk and they view themselves as more valuable than maybe people on the outside do. And so they want to play the thing out because they, it matters to them if they're the highest paid or if they get the most or yeah. whatever their average annual salary is. Yeah, I so get that, that. That all, I mean, I think agents. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I, I get that. And you're right. The starting points are different for a lot of these guys, right? It's, it's where you came from and what you need immediately. But this is such a position of power now, Brady. You know that. I mean, it's like, it's, it's not, it is player empowerment in a league that is still owner dominated. Let's be perfectly frank about what the NFL is still. But these quarterbacks have, have power, true power. Um, and we're going to see it again with Aaron Rodgers, I think, in a couple of months here. But, the, you know, what I'm saying, I think, out loud is, and I'm an advocate for this in every sport right now, we gotta, we got to make these contracts shorter. We, we got to put this thing back into the player's control. More. Oh yeah. So, you know, now that teams have well, shown that, that, that they're that, willing that, to do that, you know, shouldn't quarterbacks be pushing for this that, because every quarterback can restructure yeah, after three I mean, years. So why have a contract that's five years? If it's definitely going to be thrown out in three years, my, my point is trim the fat right off. Let's not even accept. Let's not even give I'm, the teams an option to have that fourth year. Let's make sure it's ripped up and they have to yeah. do something about it in year four. I have always been an advocate of this. Always. I mean, I, I mean, that's always been my thought process with all this is, it, why would you sign a contract any longer than it needs to be as far as the guarantees and really the financial commitment that teams want to have you? Just because it's a six-year deal, they're not, they're not guarantees for six years deal. So I am 100% with you on this. I think more players should look at signing one-year or two-year deals because they get caught up in signing a three-year deal and they only have one year of guarantees. And so we, we literally call these guys cap casualties the following year. And really it's more of the ignorance of the player, not talking to his agent and understanding the deal that he's signing. I mean, look, what, what's become part of this issue too is agents in the media, because agents are the ones that leak out these deals. They inflate the numbers. They look at the total value of the contract when there may be, you know, there may be certain things that are un, um, you know, unobtainable within the contract, but that doesn't mean they're not going to showcase that and, and promote it and then show, show that to a bunch of college kids coming out and say, hey, look how much I got these guys or look how much total money we got for our players last year in contracts. That's just stuff on paper. That's not likely to be earned. So I, I've always been an advocate of what you're saying. It just takes the, the you know, obviously the balls of quarterbacks yep. and, and really I think the NFLPA to help educate players on really what these contracts look like. and. And unfortunately, the NFLPA has made agents almost the enemy. I mean, when you look at their uh, advisement has been to reduce that, what was used to be a standard 3% fee on contracts, and now they're advising players to only take a, you know, a point and a half. Um, how do you think agents feel about that when you're being kneecapped by the union? So, so are they really going to be in the best interest of the player then, or are they going to try to do what they can to you know, create their own well-being? Um, that's just, you know, that's just how it works. So I'm with you on that. I think players would, they don't realize the power they have in signing a shorter term deal and then constantly forcing the teams to have to deal with the potential of staring for agency or staring a franchise tag, which might hinder their, their salary cap for that year dead in the face. And that's where it just, it, again, it's hard because obviously teams, once they set a precedent, they want to break it. That's, that's part of it. And they have the power in the sense of th there's certain you know, points that they might say to a guy, look, we're willing to give you a two-year deal, uh, $12 million guaranteed. And you know, let's say your average, I'm just throwing the other numbers, easy numbers. Um, you know, so you're getting paid 10 million a year, whatever the case is, right? But 12 million guarantees. Or we'll pay you a one-year fully guaranteed 10-year deal. Right. Which would you take in that case, right? Because you're leaving that 2 million, 2.5 million on the table of guarantees but you might have the opportunity to, after that, you know, one year and $10 million, sign a contract that's going to pay you an average annual salary of 15. And maybe you end up signing a two year deal that's 30 million and guarantees are fully guaranteed. Right. And so there's, there's risk to it. And I think agents, a lot of times, you know, ask them agents, a lot of times will, will you know, talk to the players through those scenarios and they just don't want to take the risk. 
yeah. of of not getting more money up front if they can. That's how the, the teams win. I think that's right. And I think the agent discussion is a big part of that, but I, I won't go down that rabbit hole here. So everything you just said, obviously we're in agreement there. How do we view the Patrick Mahomes contract then? Is it just too good, um, too good I, to I say no to? <laughs> right? I, I think it was personal preference. I don't know that it was too good to say no to. I just think, you know, for him, he wants to have the long-term stability. They, they know from their standpoint that he's such a unique talent. Yeah. He's going to be there forever. So why not, you know, agree to this long-term, huge money deal where you now have control over him forever? And, you know, as that number continues to go up and what players are making for their average annual salary um, and as the salary cap goes up and the percentage of the cap that's allocated towards that position – they can always come back and renegotiate, right? And, and he can be the bank. He can be the lender for Kansas City for the extent of his career there. And I think that's, that's really what they, they did by, you know, structuring the contract in that way, at least in my opinion. Uh, so now hopefully they have more room to go spend on some defensive players because <laughs> Lord knows they could use it right now with, with the way that team's performing. I'll get you out here on this. Um, you know – an awful lot about this stuff, man. How'd you learn it? Has it always been an interest of you? I mean, just kind of, how'd you get involved in the financial side? Because I, uh, of any guests I've had, I think you're up there in terms of the expertise with this stuff. Well, I, I mean, look, I, I know what I know and I know what I don't know. Yeah. And so anything I don't know, I try to educate myself on either, you know, obviously using your guys' website. It's a tremendous tool. Um, you guys do a, a tremendous job of, of helping people see the actual details in a contract and understand how it works. Um, I had a, I had a great agent in Tom Condon who helped me understand contracts, helped me educate me on, on all of that. Um, you know, I, I fortunately have, have a good group of people around me too, who, you know, as I've, I'm now going to get my MBA, you know, re- understanding contracts, understanding language within them, how they're structured to me, all those things are meaningful. Like I wanted to take the experience of playing in the NFL and, and what I wanted to learn from that so I could apply it to the business, business where I could apply it moving forward. And even, you know, help out, you know, other players, other young guys who may, you know, have questions or may, you know, you know, what advice on, on what they should do. It's good stuff. You're doing some great work with Third and Goal Foundation. You want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, sure. You know, th- thanks for bringing that up. Um, you know, look, we, I started the Third and Goal Foundation 11 years ago, really inspired by my grandfather, and my dad, who, who both served in the military. And, you know, my whole thing was while I was playing, I always felt like it was such an honor and privilege to be doing so that I wanted to give back to those who protect our liberties and freedom. So I started what was called the Third and Goal Foundation, um, you know, basically kind of a playoff of that specific scenario in a game where, you know, we, we don't notice it quite as much because it happens kind of frequently throughout the course of the game. But the difference between converting a touchdown and a PAT and, and settling for a field goal, that, that what can be a four-point swing is huge. You know, it really adds up at the end of the game. And so it's not a dire circumstance like fourth and goal, but you know, it's, it's a circumstance where it's crucial to ensure that your execution and your ability to score a touchdown in that moment uh, goes a long way in helping you win the overall game. And so that's the genesis of the name. And from there, you know, really there's three platforms um, that we have built and that we pride ourselves on. And that's uh, operation home, which is we make homes handicap accessible for wounded veterans. Operation Education, where we put on educational platforms for uh, veterans who are looking to either start, continue, or finish their education. And then Operation Joy, which is really just helping military families out uh, in times of need, holidays, things of that nature. Um, and so those are the three primary ways in the platforms. You know, we really try to help all those uh, who are out there uh, protecting us. This was a pleasure, man. Let's do it again soon. Awesome. Sounds good, Michael. Thanks so much. Thank you, Brady. All right, he's at Brady underscore Quinn on Twitter. The Third and Goal Foundation can be found at thirdandgoalfoundation.org for anyone interested in checking that out and helping out. There's a big old donate button on there. I highly recommend that. That was outstanding. That's a guy who really knows his stuff, and I love the fact that he said, I didn't want to be there holding a clipboard. I, I, had, I had different aspirations, and it sure looks like he's, uh, he's on the path to doing that right now with the, uh, the MBA work he's going into and uh, foundational work as well. That was, a, that was a big pleasure for me, and I hope you learned something there. It's certainly, uh, it, it mirrors a lot of the conversations we've had in this podcast before with let's shorten up the contracts, let's trim out the fat, 
um, you know, we'll see. We'll see if the Browns kind of do the unthinkable, which is give a franchise quarterback a non-next-man-up contract. I think we're all kind of in agreement that Baker should be that player. And if the Browns do a lot of winning, I don't know how they can't pay him a multi-year extension, but it shouldn't be for $44 million is the point that we're all trying to make here. My thanks to Brady Quinn. Welcome back, Cousin Dan. Our tax payrolls for 2022 have been upgraded now to include projected arbitrations, some benefits and minor salaries. We're kind of ready to roll for the 2022 offseason here. And oh, by the way, your Cleveland baseball team are now the Cleveland Guardians on Track officially. So congratulations. Nice. <laughs> um, real quick, rapid fire. I'm going to run through some options. Just give me two words. Nolan Arenado, $35 million player, player option. I, I mean, I don't see why he wouldn't pick it up from a player perspective, for, sh- for sure. He that's seems a, happy. He's a no-brainer. And honestly, he's been really good in, in you know, um, in St. Louis, where a lot of people thought the transition out of Coors was going to, you know, he, he just wasn't going to prove to be the player that he was, you know, early in his career. But he, he's had a really good year. So um, in, in the scheme of things, is it a lot of money and maybe not equal to production? Sure. But, you know, we, we know how this works. You, you're going to players are going to earn more. So, yeah, I think from both both sides, it, if if the player wanted to pick it up on their end, I don't think it, it crushes the team by any means. Yeah, that's a no brainer to me. This one's harder. Does J.D. Martinez opt into $19.35 million next year, his last year in Boston? Oh, it's a it's a good question. I I think yes. Um, now, kind of flipping what I just said with Arenado on its head, I don't think that's really the best, um, you know, the best move from a Boston perspective. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if they have to pay, commit that kind of money to him next year. But um also, it's it's only one more year, so it's it's not like he's about to enact a a player option that rips off another three or four more years. So yeah, he's he's bounced back. That's a team that's now in the semifinals somehow. So it, uh, I, I imagine they're all in on keeping whatever they can keep together here. So I, I think Boston sucks up the, you know, the the twenty two million dollar tax salary and just kind of goes with it for one more year. He's been that good of a player this year. Yeah, let me let me also let me clarify that real quick. Uh, he has been very good. I only I only hesitate on it from a team perspective because I think D, uh, paying a, a DH type yeah. player twenty million is is not best from like a replacement level standpoint. But yeah, he's a he's a really good player, excellent hitter, um, veteran presence in that lineup. I don't have an issue with the player by any means. I, I'm just talking about from a a team building standpoint i don't know if it's the the best option for yeah them, but. they're getting a lot of value elsewhere though so i think they can afford this one as you're kind of alluding to here uh this one's tough too what does nick castellanos do in, in cincinnati cincinnati had a sneaky good year he had a very good year um he's got a 16 million dollar player option for next year which is basically his average salary can he do better than that dan i don't have a read on this one mike i i think I think the idea of the player is worth more than worth more than that. I do think some teams will hesitate. Um, you know, he is a defensive liability. Now, whether he, he needs to transition to like a DH or first base type role um, going forward, that, that might eliminate some teams. If, you know, if, if <clears throat> specific teams don't feel comfortable with him, you know, playing him in the field that they may just be out from the start. So um the the offensive production though is worth that money all day long. So I I, I will lean I will lean he can get more than that. Yes, I, I think if Major League Baseball comes back from negotiations with a full time DH, his value skyrockets. Yeah, I, I actually like that a lot because I mean he's probably going to be the the most coveted offensive bat on the market this offseason, right? Yeah. Yeah. Outfielder wise. I mean, the shortstops are going to run the day here as we'll make note of soon, but I think, you know, it probably should have been Michael Conforto, but it's not. This guy is, is right now sitting, you know, prettier than Conforto in terms of value and and probably desire on the, on the open market. So I I think there's a pretty good chance he opts out of this thing, which is kind of crazy. You know what I mean? I I don't know if he's a household name in in any regard, really. Yeah. Right. And, and, I think he's enjoyed his time in Cincy, but I, we we all know that he he went there on a on a deflated deal because he yeah. couldn't get the deal he was looking for two years ago. So yeah, I, I agree with all that. I think he, um, you know, 
the teams that are going to be in the market for those premier shortstops are probably not the same teams looking at Nick Castellanos, j- just the type of player that, you know, the comparison between those two types of players. But um, yeah, he's going to probably be the best bat um, beyond those premier shortstops on the market. It's fair. Let's flip the club options. Now it's the team's control. Is Buster Posey done in San Francisco? It's a $22 million salary, Dan. I, I don't know. He's had a really good year to deserve probably to come back. Um, it's really tough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. Is it going to be like the Ben Roethlisberger treatment? Doesn't it kind of feel like that's what it should be, where he opts out and then maybe comes back at half? Yeah, that could be it, yep. Yeah, I think he stays because this team is unbelievably good right now. So I just don't think he wants to put $22 million on that tax cap for this team because, look, you know, if I'm, I'm looking at our projected numbers, San Francisco's okay, but they're not great. You know, They could certainly stand to be better in terms of their tax situation. So, And they do the, – the Giants do have Joey Bart in their organization. Yep. I mean, he was rumored at the deadline to potentially have been included in some of the deals that they didn't end up making. So not sure if they, as an organization, are in love with him long-term or not. So that might – you know it's hard to project how they, they feel internally about him. So that, that would, you know, if they love him, maybe they're more willing to to part with Posey. If they're a little hesitant about him, maybe they want to resign Posey and uh, keep this together for another couple of years. But um, yeah, it would be, it'd be crazy to see him in a different uniform. That's for sure. Yeah. Bart's been banged up. I'm trying to follow his, his career a little bit too, for, you know, fantasy selfish purposes. But um, again, a nationally DH would help that situation in my opinion. Don't you agree with that? Yeah, I think, I mean, just to paint a broad stroke over this, everything we're talking about changes drastically. If there's a NLDH. Yeah. With these older guys, especially, you know, where they just aren't everyday players, especially catchers, my goodness. So, uh, you know, yeah, I think that that in the national league specifically, that may help a Matt Carpenter or may help a Buster Posey with some of these options. It sounds to me like, Dan, that Kyle Seager's not going to be exercised at $20 million by Seattle, a good Seattle team. Is he going to walk? He's, 30, he's going to be 34 years old this offseason. Is that a player who's going to walk with his brother, Corey, into free agency? Unless he's, unless he's ready to retire, I wouldn't blame him. But, mm. yeah, I think, I think he's gone. Yeah, yep. That's interesting. Here's a no-brainer. Craig Kilmbrill. Has there been a more... <laughs> Jekyll and Hyde player in Major League Baseball for the past five years. I mean, my goodness, I, I can't imagine they're going to touch his $16 million option, but they can't even bring him back at this point, right? He's been that bad for Chicago. Yeah, they shouldn't have been. And we we talked about this a little bit at the deadline when they made the deal. It was It was sort of puzzling from a roster construction standpoint where you could have probably spent, you know, that same asset in, in got, Nick Madrigal and gotten like – Sorry, Craig Kimbrell seems miscast in that role is what I'm trying to say. And I think they could have utilized that asset to put somebody there who's who's been more of like a setup type guy. Um, You know, Craig Kimbrell has literally never done that in his career. Um, And and he was having an incredible year with the Cubs as a closer. So just just to midseason remove him from that. um, I don't know. It seemed like a weird fit from the beginning. I definitely don't think they bring him back. And you have, it would be different if Hendricks wasn't signed, but he's signed next year. And I I don't know why you would, why you would bring Kimbrell back at that money to, to have him be in a role that he proved this year. He didn't really fit in. So I think a Boston Renaissance fit uh, makes sense. They, that's where they're lacking. They're kind of stringing things along right now. I think that could happen very easily. Last one, because it's in your neck of the woods, and it's probably got some uh, some baggage with it. Cleveland's certainly going to op- exercise Jose Ramirez's $12 million. He's been one of the best values in baseball for a decade now. But does it stick? Is that just an exercise to trade? I don't know. And that's a terrible answer. But so... A lot of people that I follow think think he is gone um, by by the trade deadline, the, the upcoming trade deadline next year. Um, okay. So yeah, I, I do think there's this is just an Indians organization. I, I know what happened with Lindor. Um, Guardians, I think Dan. Guardians. Sorry, I know I'm doing it too. <laughs> um, they're they 
the Lindor situation happened when they were closer to a contending window. I think they will look at themselves. I mean, maybe they look at themselves and just think that pitching went wrong for them this year and that the roster is closer, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't think they, they don't bring him back as like a let's go for it move. I think they bring him back as maybe they think they can get some sort of extension done, but I don't, I don't see it happening. He's, he's a, he's a premier player. I think they're going to cash in and get assets for him to, can, you know, they, they've sort of jump-started this rebuild and they have some, some, they have really good pitchers. They have some nice position players on the roster and they're in their minor league system is loaded. So mm-hmm. if, if they can now inject another premier or two assets into that farm system um, through a Jose Ramirez trade, I think they, I think they do that. And, I say that as somebody who loves Jose Ramirez on uh, on the Guardians. So hmm. it's going to be one of the fascinating moves of the offseason, in my opinion. Um, you know, whether or not Shane Bieber is attached to that could be a possibility too. But I think you're right. I think it, I think the plan is let's let's take our three or four really strong pitchers, Bieber being the ace, and see if these kids can win because they're B and A minus prospects kind of sprinkled throughout that farm system right now and. That's the kind of recipe for a Houston Astros type run. It really is. And I I think they're probably two years away from it. But trading Jose Ramirez now for a couple of assets like you're talking about is how you get to that next level of the ladder. And I think it's the right time to do that. Speaking of which, go ahead. No, I, I, with, with Jose, I, I think you painted out really well there. The Indians, when I say that they're, they're jumpstarting their rebuild, I, all, all I'm saying is it's not a five-year rebuild. Right. It's like that it's probably more of a, they're ready to contend maybe in two years from now. So if, if Jose, you know, if they don't have an avenue to lock him up long-term, then is he on your, is he on the next good guardian scheme? I don't, I don't think so. So no, the, the, content, the contenders are going to be dying for him. Let's be perfectly honest that, a cornerstone third baseman, you know, middle infielder that that's going to be Dodgers, Giants, Reds. Let's be perfectly honest about who's going to become calling for that. The Blue Jays will be calling for him. So there's there's going to be so much interest that one of those deals is going to be too good for Cleveland to say no to, in my opinion. So I think it's a, I think it's probably one of the one of the locks of this offseason, unfortunately, but it's probably the right move for Cleveland. They have to do that. You got to you got to do it one year early when you're a smaller market team, as we've seen. And speaking of which, Dan, I want to transition to Tampa Bay, who got knocked out last night by Boston. Every offseason's a circus with Tampa Bay because we we generally don't know when they're going to pick their spots. And this is the time of year I look at their current payroll for next year and I say, all right, which players probably have to go? <laughs> Unfortunately, that's just how things work in Tampa Bay. And I'm staring at two players. There are only two veteran players with with veteran contracts next year. One of them is a club option. There are the 19 arbitration eligible salaries on their payroll right now. That's it. That's Tampa Bay in a nutshell. The one actual veteran contract is Kevin Kiermeyer at 12 million. He's 32. He's great. He's off injured. Is he gone, Dan? Yeah. I, they don't I, pay 12 million. They don't even no, pay starting I, pitchers 12 million. Right. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, and that organization is very good at separating the emotional side of oh, God. from, you know, he's been a good player for us, but if they don't think the value is there and, and not to mention, it's not even, it's not even just like, Oh no, we lose Kiermaier and we don't have a replacement. I mean, they have a stable of guys right. in the minors or, or I, I would have confidence they could find and, you know, identify another cheapish um, type free agent that they would bring in and immediately have success with. So yeah, I'd be shocked, truly shocked if they brought him back. Mike Zanino had a monster year, 30 plus home runs, tons of RBIs for this Tampa Bay team. He's got a $7 million club option that escalated up from about four to start the year. He had a great year. Is 7 million for a catcher too much for Tampa Bay? I'm wondering if they're taking all their veteran contracts off at this point. Yeah, it seems it seems like they wouldn't be baited, you know, baited into in the Mike Zanino thing. I, I mean, or I have read recently. I mean, they they have led in home runs, but also led in strikeouts. So there might be some, you know, a you know philosophical edge there that they have, where they're they're kind of throwing out everything besides home runs. And um, you know, the poster boy for that kind of thing is Mike Zanino. You know, all. Uh, all or nothing kind of players. 33 so, yeah. home runs and 72 hits, Dan. 
Yeah, I know. It's in it's insane. And what what two two ten or something? Two sixteen like on the average if you still care about that, which I still do. <laughs> right. So but but that's the point. Maybe the Rays don't, but but regardless, I, I think you can find that kind of play. You know, there it's easier to find a, a catcher who hits, you know, two twenty and twenty home runs than it is um yeah. to find that the inverse of that player. So I would be blown away again if um they bring him back at that kind of money. Yeah, I think there's more carnage coming in Tampa Bay like we see every year. I think those are two nice players that hit the open market if that's the case or or via trade in Kiermaier's case, which, you know, teams that miss out on, on a Chris Bryant, I think that's exactly the player you're looking for right now, despite the age. He's a he's a really nice two-way player. All right, let's dive into these free agents, man. I know you've done some homework on this. Uh, I guess let's just start where we have to start, which is the shortstop position. We've talked about it before. It's It's officially time to start talking about this. Can you give me... All right, you're a GM. Okay, you're the uh, let's just say you're a, you're a, your team X's GM. You've got a hundred million in tax payroll to work with this year. Okay, which of these shortstops? It's a it's a position of need for you. Can you rank these shortstops in who you would like to bring in, regardless of financial payout? So don't tell me who's going to make the most money. Tell me which shortstop you would want specifically this offseason. Yeah, the financial aspect of it is interesting. I I would probably lean towards Trevor Story, but I I would also make a point for Carlos Correa. Me too. Um, Me too. I think all said and done, Correa will be the bigger earner. Some of that is um, due to a slight decrease in age over the other guys, plus veteran, you know, postseason experience, all, all of that stuff that teams probably, you know, attach a value to. So um, I think, I think Trevor story is a really interesting um, player to, to dedicate that towards. So I think a team is going to make a major run towards. There's, there's an argument that Trevor story is the best available free agent on this, in this entire class. 28. what he's done on a bad and on a lot of bad Colorado teams, he values quite a bit higher than, than Carlos Correa in our system, Dan, because of his production. You're right. He's a year older. And, and quite frankly, part of my evaluation for Carlos Correa, Dan is where he's coming from. I, I know Houston will never give him $400 million. I know it. I don't even think they'll give him $300 million. So I, I I'm under the assumption that Correa stays right now. That's, that's me personally kind of eyeballing this situation. If he goes, you're probably right. That's probably the player because of his pedigree, his postseason experience, kind of everything wrapped into one. I think he's he gets the slight edge if I'm GMX just taking a player on. But I'm telling you right now, pound for pound, Trevor Story is the is the is the goat in this conversation here. It, you know, is that how the big boys are gonna are gonna see it? Is, are the Dodgers going to replace Corey Seager with Trevor Story? Are the Yankees going to replace Gleyber Torres with Trevor Story? Is that what we're getting down to here? You think? I, I like, yeah, I like both of those landing spots. I think, um, I agree with that. I think there will be a little bit of the Nolan Arenado fact. People are unsure of like mm-hmm. how the skills will translate out of Coors, but um, again, he's a good defender. He can be moved around the infield if needed. He's he's got some speed offers. Uh, you know, good average, et cetera, all the tools I don't need to explain, but um, yeah, I, I could, I could see that being um, the focus. And, and really, if you just remove this year, um, yeah. you know, obviously Arenado was gone and things just didn't work out there. He was injured a little bit, but if you remove this year for Trevor Story's career, um, I mean, I think going into this year, he was, he would have been the bona fide number one pick with this. Now, yeah, Corey Seager has been injured, Carlos Correa coming off injury seasons. It's easy to say that that perception would have been there, but I do think, um, story would have, you know, if, if this was all done last year, I think he would have been the guy. And I don't really see a lot of reasons to change that currently. What do you think the Dodgers plan is now that they have Trey Turner for at least one more year? He's arb- he's arbitration eligible through 2022. You know, he's a hell of a shortstop. He's playing pretty good second base right now because of the situation. I, is he the long-term shortstop there, Dan? I mean, is the plan to to push him to shortstop full-time next year and sign him long-term? Or are they thinking about bringing back Seager 
or possibly bringing in one of these big fish to get to play shortstop for the next four to five years. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I think in theory, like a thing that wasn't talked about with the Turner deal is maybe that is used as leverage against Corey Seager going forward yeah. to say that like you're, you're like we have internal options, even though, tr- you know, Trey Turner is not currently playing shortstop for us that we feel comfortable at this number. If you feel you can beat it, then by all means, go ahead. But if you want to stay here on this team, that's the bar you need to meet. And, um, and if not, then we have Trey Turner for at least another year and, um, you know, they won't have any issues adding a shortstop, you know, beyond the next two years if they, if needed. So, um, yeah, I would be, uh, right now I would be surprised if Seager is back. with LA. It's fascinating how you, how you kind of got to that point, Dan. I just had a conversation with Brady Quinn from an NFL money standpoint, and he had a very similar approach with Baker Mayfield and the Browns. What's going to stop the Browns from taking a quarterback, maybe number 25 overall this year or next year for that exact reason. All right. We got an option now. You know what I mean? He may not be the top option in the draft, but he's an option. We're going to groom him. And if we don't, if, if you won't accept our $30 million contract, if you definitely want 44 or 45, then you're going to have to hit the open market to get it. I, I think that's exactly the right approach with some of these situations, especially with teams that are this deep. You know, the Dodgers and the Browns, that, that might be the respective deepest teams in their leagues. So I like that approach. I like the approach of trade turners there just because we needed a guy. And oh, by the way, if it brings back Corey Seager at 22 million a year, we'll do that too, you know? Right, for sure. Yeah. And um, yeah, Seager's not in a great spot with it, I don't think. And there is injury. Like he has, he has been a good, solid player, but going into this year, he's had some injury concerns. So um, I could see them not wanting to just say, you know, you're the guy, let's commit to you, forget about Trey Turner. I just think they have options and they might not even know until talks start after, you know, they're eliminated. So, or when. <laughs> By the way, do you know that Corey Seager is 6'4"? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm, that's gigantic for a shortstop. I, I, had, I did not know that. Yeah, he appear he appears way smaller too. So that, yeah. that's a surprising. I, it, Carlos Correos is that size as well. I had no idea we had guys of that of that size playing middle positions. That's pretty crazy. Last one. Well, there's two. I mean, do you want to talk Javi Baez? Does anybody honestly know Javi Baez feels like Kawhi Leonard? Do we honestly know what the hell is going to happen here at all? <laughs> no, no idea. I um I could see him re-signing with the Mets. Stop it! I, could- I wasn't going to say it out loud because I. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, no, I just could, I could see this going a number of different ways. And uh, I think all the Cubs guys are really interesting in terms of landing spots yeah. where they're, where they're going to fall, not to skip ahead or anything, but yeah, Baez, I, um, I'll tell you where I, I where I have him going just internally, I'll, Dan, and you tell me if this is crazy or if this seems like the right fit for Baez, it just seems like the right risky chaotic move that the angels like to make. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's the right, that is the right response, but you look, he wouldn't be terrible there. I mean, you put that with Otani Rendon, you know, uh, trout, of course, and, and Jared Walsh, there's bats. It, it yeah. isn't going to fix their pitching problem. That's for darn sure. But that this just seems like a Los Angeles angels move to me. Yeah, on the I, I don't know how I feel about that landing spot, but your your thought process is right that that's that's the kind of <laughs> yeah. move that they do make. Um, I will say I do think if he leaves New York, he is the kind of guy that um ends up on like a non-contender, maybe a team that um, you know, maybe he's not the most sought out, sought after guy, and a team that is like kind of in the middle of the pack but wants to add um a high name value type player, maybe. Maybe they're the kind of guy, team that signs him. Yeah, that makes sense to me too. All right. Um, any thoughts on the Cubs players as a whole? I know you mentioned that. So you're talking, I mean, we have no idea where Kimbrell's going to end up. I can give you a couple of guesses. I don't think the the financial you know value will be there that he's looking for. I think he's going to have to probably take something cheaper at this point. Um, Kyle Schwarber super interesting right now because Kyle Schwarber's the kind of guy that you love to pay him 10 million for one year, but you know, he could be out of the league in three years, right? Doesn't he feel like that kind of player, except for this year, he's not that kind of player this year. He's almost the complete player and he's even getting some defensive reps at first base now, which are, you know, have been, have improved. What do you think about a player like this? 
I can't imagine he's back at Boston, but if he hits the open market, is this a legitimate multi-year, you know, 15 to $20 million guy? I think he's earned more than, um, you know, he, he had a little, he didn't have a huge market last year. No. Um, and I, I mean, I could see, I could see him getting an increase in pay, but I, I don't think anyone's, I, I do think we know who Kyle Schwarber is at this point in his career. Um, and I don't think anyone's going to just like blow the doors off of him and be fooled by, by this year he's put together. And, you know, so far the postseason. but I, I could be wrong. He's a nice player. I just don't, I just don't think anybody's going to, you know, throw one of, you know, I don't, I don't think he's going to get like a top five free agent deal. this No, that's probably right. Uh, let's go to the first baseman here. The real first baseman. There's three really nice names here. There's Freddie Freeman, of course, Anthony Rizzo, and Brandon Belt, who's now injured for San Francisco, but has already done enough despite his age to show he's going to get some sort of payday somewhere. Hey, what's your pulse on those three players specifically? Because those are, those are players that help teams. You know, they help their current teams, certainly. Um, and, they're, and you're talking about three contenders right there as well in terms of Atlanta, the Yankees, and the, and the Giants. Do any of those players walk at the end of the day? That's probably the best way to frame this, right? Yeah, I think that is actually a really good way to put it because I was going to say you could we I think we should proceed moving forward with Freeman back in Atlanta. Yeah. I think that's safest and I think it would be projection to assume assume otherwise. So, um go and then let's let's move to Rizzo. I I try to take a little dive and find some teams that I thought he might, he might be able to land on. And really there are very few contenders um, with open first base jobs, in my opinion. Now, mm -hmm. Boston is kind of one of those, but Bobby Dahlbeck had a really nice second half. Maybe they want to see more out of him. Um, but I mean, maybe there's like a, you know, a reunion there beyond that though, Mike, there's like not a ton of open first base spots in the league and like teams that do have an open spot typically have like a young player that they might want there so I think Rizzo is uh, you know in the same in the same conversation as Baez I think he's a guy that might struggle to find a landing spot I mean left-handed power he offers a ton so I'm probably going to eat my words on that when you know he's the most coveted first base free agent this offseason but I, I think the first base guys in general are going to it's going to just kind of be musical chairs among mm -hmm. a few open spots in the league. But I, I don't know, maybe I'm missing something. Did you have any? I, I just think he, he's already on the team he should be on. I, I truly believe that. I think he's an upgrade from Luke Voigt. I think they have to solidify that position. They need the left-handed bat. I, I can't imagine the Yankees letting him walk unless somebody comes in swinging big. And, and I have to be honest with this, and I'm not just saying this for the story. I think the one team that would swing big it, are the Cubs. <laughs> the Cubs are going to be bad, but I don't think they're going to be terrible, Dan. But you put butts in seats with bringing back Anthony Rizzo. I mean, that's just a franchise guy. I, I think the Cubs would overpay for that right now is my point. So is that tantalizing to Rizzo? It shouldn't be. He should be caring about winning ball games right now. But I think that carrot's going to be dangling out there. I, I just think at the end of the day, he stays exactly where he is in New York for at least... I've got him on a five-year, $90 million deal. You know, let's be realistic. Nobody ever stays for their full contract anymore. So, you know, he's a trade He's a trade piece three years into that. But for three years in the Bronx, I think he can do very, very well. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. He... I, I'll say if he doesn't find a contender, I think the Cubs point has a ton of legs on it. Um, I don't think he just you know, punts and goes to the chase the money. I think like you said, he wants a landing spot where he can win. If, if it's not a contender, I think he would easily go back to the Cubs if the Cubs were, um, you know, willing to entertain that kind of thing. Now, whether they are or not, that's, that's to be seen, but. Okay. Last question we're watching. We're almost down to the semifinals here, right? The uh, championship series of this major league baseball postseason. We've talked a lot about these contenders because they generally have the most notable free agents or extension candidates. Which team wins the World Series and then is forced to pay one of their players big time money? Almost almost an overpay. Is there, you know, is it Chris Bryant with the Giants? Is it Devers with Boston? You know, is there a guy out there right now that could become 
extremely, extremely rich by winning the World Series in a couple of weeks here? Um, I guess, could it be Seager in the Dodgers? Max Scherzer in the Dodgers. Chris Taylor is probably going to get overpaid wherever he goes. There's, there's a lot of available and contract needy players on these final couple of teams. You know, these teams are loaded. I just don't know. The, I don't know how the Dodgers continue to do this, Dan. You know, how do you bring back Max Scherzer at 30 plus Clayton Kershaw at 30 plus try to consider keeping Seager and Taylor in the fold. I think it's going to be a very different team is my point. So I, that doesn't surprise me. And by the way, they have experience with winning the world series and then having to re, you know, recalculate a team, the giants it's been forever since that's happened for them. So are they going to feel like they have to rush to keep every, because they've got Gosman up, Disclafani up, they've got, Chris Bryant up, Buster Posey in that option situation, Brandon Belt's up. There's a lot of mouths to feed there, and and they've got a legitimate chance to win this World Series. You know, who benefits most from that? You know, I don't have a good handle on this. I, I, we already talked about him, so we don't need to get into it much, but I could see... I could see the Astros sort of internally assessing that after re-sign Carlos Correa. There that, we go. That that's a player I think like we literally just talked about me thinking he's not back in Houston. If they win another World Series and he's the face of that team, um, I think he's a guy that that might you know they might feel pressured you know if you want to use loose finger quotes with that into into feeling like they need to to bring him back. That's interesting, and you're right. It probably gets up to Frankie Lindor's deal at that point. That's probably right. Even though you know how this stuff works, the supply demand situation should benefit teams here because there's five legitimate star shortstops available right now. And I'm including Marcus Simeon in that conversation because he made me, (laughs) um, that should drop the prices for these guys, but it won't. I don't think it will. I think there'll be room to squeeze all these guys in. There'll be longer contracts than we like so that the, you know, the tax salaries are a little bit lower, but uh, I really do think that, we're going to see some big, big paydays. I, I like that one a lot. I think Houston's got a chance to push this thing, and he's the he's been the factor for a lot of these these postseason runs. So that's a good one, Dan. Anything else standing out here? Anybody we're missing? I know we talked pitchers last time. Has anything changed in your mind pitching wise since we last spoke in terms of the off season? Um, no, not too much. I mean, I'll kind of. I'll kind of throw you up a, a layup here because I know we've d- talked about it offline. Mm. But Confor- Conforto, what do you? What's your gut there? Because I think he's. Uh, he's how about, how about a- the Mets as a whole? How about Stroman, Syndergaard, Conforto? Right. I mean, those three players have their own storylines with them right now, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I like we talked about pitching. I think Syndergaard's gone. I think um, Stroman gets a deal, maybe a little inflated from what it should be, but I think he does offer a lot of value. So. Uh, those two guys, I'm uh, honestly, I think all three are are gone. I, I think it's just like a you know, let's start fresh on from both sides, the team and the player side. But um, Conforto's like, you know, he's like a pedigree guy that we've we've talked about breaking yeah. out for so long. Maybe he goes somewhere else, and and the right change of scenery, he he becomes a bona fide you know top fifteen ish outfielder. Like maybe that happens, but um, I don't know what what what's your what's your sense on him. Well, the, the plan that I wanted to happen sounds like it's definitely not going to happen. It sounds like he will get the qualifying offer and he will decline it. That's already kind of been reported by a lot of the Mets people around that organization. So it's that's what I was hoping would happen, a one-year $20 million kind of prove-it deal to kind of keep him in the fold and see if he can return back to form because it was just a miserable 2021 season. But to me, he's trending towards the Castiano situation where he's going to go out there looking for 2025 and he's going to find 15, 16 per year on three, four years, not six, seven, eight years. So, I, you know, if he's OK going to a team that's not very good, because that's generally what happens, Dan, is you have to become a piece on a below average team to get to get the money you're looking for. Uh, you know, maybe that's I, I don't want to stick a team out there. Maybe Minnesota decides this to try to get themselves back in the fold. Um, I guess Kansas City could be part of that conversation. There's teams that have some pieces that are looking to add a little bit more consistency, especially in the outfield. But uh, I, I just don't see it. I, I think he he would benefit from the one year showcase on a team like the Mets, and uh, and then either stay on a multi year deal or or put yourself in a situation where you can get a better multi year deal somewhere else for a good team. 
Because that's the thing. Like, if you're in a situation where you're one of the best available players ceiling wise, but your production is suppressing your value, why go to the open market? <laughs> you know what I mean? Why put yourself through that just to get a couple extra million here and there? I think I think the plan should be to stay on the qualifying offer, but it sounds like that's not the plan. It's a good point. It's a good point. He I, he's just a guy I really think might want to change the scenery and might yeah. think that like maybe he puts it together for a year or two in I, I don't know Pittsburgh or some somewhere that might give him yeah. you know a, a, a inflated prove it deal. But yeah, it's tough. He he's he's tough. All right, good stuff, man. We'll see uh, what happens with all this MLB CBA stuff. Uh, I don't. I speaking of which, all this stuff we're talking about right now, nothing's gonna happen till like February fifteenth. You know what I mean? I mean, who's gonna who's gonna sign a contract or move on or or process a trade in the middle of CBA negotiations when who knows what might happen? We don't even know how the arbitration process is gonna work. To be perfectly honest, you know, so there could be so many changes. We don't know if baseball will start on time. So yes, we're projecting a lot of movement here, but um, it's a big winner for lawyers and nerds, unfortunately. So <laughs> we'll see what, how far we get to before we actually can have one of these concrete signings happen. But it's always good to spitball. Good stuff by you, Dan. All right, thanks. Good talking to you. All right, thanks to Cousin Dan. Always good talking baseball, even if your teams are well out of it at this point. My right, thanks to Brady Quinn. Please check out him on Twitter at Brady underscore Quinn and the third and gold foundation.org for plenty more information on that. And of course, my thanks to the athletic visit the athletic.com slash spot track for 40% off your first year subscription today for Scott Allen. My name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the spot track podcast. 